morning, everybody. Good morning. How y'all doing? It's good to be here with you again. Um, it's always a blessing to be with you guys and to share the word. Um, so when Creston calls me, it's always a yes when I'm available, uh, just to, so I can be around you guys and see you again and fellowship with you. It's always a blessing. Um, why don't we just pray for a minute and then uh, we'll get in the word. If you have your Bible, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and we'll be uh, studying about Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's just a, a light to us, Lord. It, it is the banner of truth for our lives. We thank you for providing it and preserving it for us to this day. We pray that it speak to us, that it go forth and transform our minds and our hearts and uh, transform our actions, Lord, that we may be more aligned to your, to your word and be more like Christ every day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Has, who has Ephesians 3, 14 through 21? Amen. Go ahead and read it. 4 through 21? Mm -hmm. When you... For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may bring in your, may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly than all that we ask or think according to the power and work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 That ends the reading of God's word. May it bless our lives and transform us. Uh, you don't know what's going on in the book of Ephesians at this point. Um, God, we have learned in Ephesians chapter 1 that God places a new identity on, on the believer, on someone who places their faith and trust in Christ. Uh, then we discover not only do we have a new identity, but we become part of a new community, a new community of faith, and that is known as the church. Uh, I think it's important to give a summary of what happens in Ephesians chapter 3 before we get to 14 through 21. And basically what happens is God has brought the Gentile and Jew together as one new man through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He tears down the dividing wall of hostility and the laws and the ordinances that went with the sacrificial system because they are fulfilled in Christ. And God has brought Gentiles and Jews together and formed one new community known as the church which is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets 
with Christ being the cornerstone, uh, through which the manifold wisdom of God is displayed, which was the eternal purpose of God, realized through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul has been talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, um, before he gets to verse 14. And it's important we keep this in mind because when we come to 14 through 21, which is Paul's prayer, it's the second prayer Paul prays over the church of Ephesus and the other churches in Asia Minor, Paul opens his prayer with these words, for this reason, for this reason. And Paul is praying for a reason. And what is that reason? What is driving Paul to his knees in prayer for the church in Ephesus or the churches in Asia Minor? Minor? The reason Paul is praying is because God has brought the Gentile and Jew together as one new man through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Amen. by tearing down the wall, uh, the dividing wall of hostility and the laws and the ordinances that went with the sacrificial system because they are fulfilled in Christ. And God has brought Gentiles and Jews together and formed one new community known as the church, mm. which is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone through which the manifold wisdom of God is displayed, which is the eternal purpose of God, realized through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Paul says, for this reason, I pray. Paul is praying because the work of God drives the man of God to pray for the power of God, to fill the people of God with the love of God, so that the wisdom of God is on display through the church and in Jesus Christ, so that God is glorified throughout all generations. Which we all can learn something about prayer by reading the prayers of the Bible and reading the prayers of Paul. Prayer and God's word go together. It is through the word of God we discover the will of God and know how to pray and know what to pray for. When we pray, we should pray for ourselves and we should pray for our families but church, if all you pray for is yourself and your family, you're missing out. You are missing out. Because when we study the prayers in the Bible, not only do we discover people pray for the, their immediate needs, but many times the people pray for the purposes of God to be accomplished, not just in my life, but in my city, in my country, in my nation, in the world. And we find people praying for the will of God to be accomplished globally, and Jesus himself taught us to pray this way. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9-10, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. There is no me, myself, and I in the Lord's Prayer. It is God-exalting, it is God-centered. Notice prayer first is directed in adoration of God the Father. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be magnified. We want him to be hollowed on earth as he is in heaven. And we are praying for the kingdom of God to come through the people committing their lives to serve Christ. The growth of the church spiritually and numerically. And for Christ to come back and establish his rule and reign permanently. And we also pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even when we are taught to pray for our needs, Jesus uses the plural and not the singular. 
give us this day our daily bread. It's not give me this day my daily bread. It's give us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus uses the plural, not the singular. So we are praying for the Lord to supply our needs, not just my needs. And in Paul's case, when, we, when he begins to pray, he knows the challenges of bringing Jews and Gentiles together as one new man. But he also knows that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or think. So the importance of the unity of God's people in the church drives him to prayer. And that is what we hear in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Who is Paul praying to? We know why Paul is praying, but who is he praying to? You know, the book of Ephesians is very Trinitarian. Uh, in chapter 1, we see the, the Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Spirit seals. Well, here in chapter 3, we see the Father and Son and Holy Spirit at work again in Paul's prayer. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. We see that Paul addresses the Father, and the, and the next verse has a description of who he is, the Father of, for whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, Paul could be saying that the Father is the creator of all people ever created, and he is the Father of all. And Paul used that argument in Acts 17 when he was sharing the gospel with the people on Mars Hill. Another option, though, is Paul is praying to the Father of the whole family, from which we get our name. I know the translation says every family, but I think a better translation is the whole family. Many versions translate the Greek, the Greek words pasa patria as every family but i think it should be translated whole family and the difference is 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 in the first option paul is referring to all the families of the world but in the second option paul is referring to the spiritual family who have been called and redeemed and sanctified by god the father based on the context of ephesians 3 i believe paul is referring to the spiritual family of jew and gentile together who are brought into the family by the Father and through the work of Christ. And we see in Ephesians 2.21, Paul says this, in whom the whole structure, which is the same words, pasa oikodomi, which means whole structure, being joined together, goes into a holy temple in the Lord. That is Ephesians 2.21. And we don't translate it as every structure. We don't say every structure is being joined together. Why? Because the context determines the meaning. And in the context of our passage, 
Paul is praying for everyone that makes up the church, Jew and Gentile, who have been transformed by the gospel. He isn't praying for every family. He's praying for the whole family, whom the Father in heaven has adopted into his family, and he has named them. But not only that, Paul also prays that this is done through the Spirit. Paul asks that the Father strengthen us through the Spirit. We see Paul acknowledge the work of the Father and, and how he works according to the riches of his glory. But we also see his work is accomplished in the life of the believer through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we see the Spirit at work in Paul's prayer also. And we also see Paul pray that we may know the love of Christ. That we may know and experience Christ dwelling in us. Paul's prayer and his writing are very Trinitarian. And they're pointing us to God the Father. They're pointing us to God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. All working in unison to accomplish his purpose on this earth. And that is who Paul is praying to. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Move in the church. What does Paul pray for to the church? What is he praying for for this church? Now that we know who Paul is praying to, let's look at his prayer. What is Paul praying for? In Paul's prayer, imagine him climbing a mountain. Each request is a step he takes to go higher and higher up the mountain. I don't know if you've ever been mountain climbing or climbed pinnacle, but each step is a step at the, to get to the top of the mountain. And that's what Paul's doing here. With each, with each request, he's moving up this mountain to get to a pinnacle. So the first step in Paul's climb is his first prayer request is for strength. Strength with power. Paul knows that the challenges of the Jew and the Gentile coming together as one new man, he knew the unity that we have in Christ will be challenged from those outside the church, like Roman persecution, or suffering Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and that it would be challenged sometimes from those inside the church, like the circumcision party, or even Peter when he was favoring the Jews over the Gentiles, or in Acts 6 when the Hellenistic widows were being neglected. He knew that unity would be challenged. And Paul was praying for strength and power through the Spirit because he didn't want them to give up or to lose heart, as it says in Ephesians 3.13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart for, over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The strength he is asking for is not coming from within. It is coming from the Holy Spirit. Unity is held together by the power of the Spirit working in the lives of the people. This is what Paul was praying for because he knew there were many things which could fracture this unity. Many things that would cause them to lose heart. But it, if unity is held together by the power of the Spirit, working in the lives of the people in the church, that is a unity which cannot be broken. But Paul didn't just pray for strength with power through the Spirit. He continues by saying, in your inner being or in or inner person. What does that mean? Look what he writes to the Corinthian church. It's 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self is wasting away. What does he mean? You know, my physical body is wasting away. 
I'm 48 years old, my knees ache, my back aches, I wear glasses because I'm blind, my elbow's starting to hurt. The moment we are born, our bodies begin wasting away, wasting away. But our inner self is our spiritual life. What does Paul say about the inner self? Renewed day by day. Another way of saying strengthened so we can endure and not lose heart. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because we are weak and frail people, but the Holy Spirit does strengthen us in our weaknesses. The second step up this mountain, we see the dual purpose of Paul's prayer. For Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays for them with with strength and power through your spirit so that they will not lose heart and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. There are two words for dwell in the Greek language. One describes the idea of a temporary resident. Uh, Paul uses this word in, in Ephesians 2.19 and it is used to describe the Gentiles that they are no longer aliens, but they are citizens. And this is not the word Paul uses here. Paul uses the other word for dwell in this passage which means to reside or to live and gives the idea that this is my home. This is the word Paul uses here, that Christ is at home in our hearts, which is the purpose Paul is praying for you to be strengthened by power through the spirit so you do not lose heart and that Christ may reside in our hearts. You may think, how is Christ dwelling in me? Doesn't he dwell in believers already? Why is Paul even praying this? The Christian life is a life of growth in Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you should see a progressive movement of becoming more like Jesus every day. So as you grow in Christ, you become more like Christ. Does it mean that I have more of Christ now than, I, than when I first believed? Our minds think that way because that is how things appear. That's how it looks when you see someone changing. That they look, it looks like they're growing, they have more of Christ. But many times, that's not the way, that's the way it looks, but that's not the way, what is happening. That's not what is happening. Uh, our minds think that way, because that's how it looks. But it is better said that Christ has more of me. Amen. Christ has more of me. Many times we don't change, or our growth in Christ is stunted or slowed because sometimes we like the sin we're committing more than we love Christ. Or we fear what others may say or think, and we don't grow. But as we grow and become more aware of our sinfulness and we repent from sinful areas in our lives, we are in essence giving Christ more reign of our hearts. And, and more reign of our lives. So Christ has more of us because we are being transformed by the Spirit and transformed by His Word. How does this apply to unity? Think of Peter in Galatians when he was showing favoritism to the Jews at the expense of the Gentiles. Why did he do it? He wanted the approval of men. He wanted the approval of the Jewish people. He maybe responded in fear, was Christ still dwelling in him? Yes. Which is why when he was confronted of his sin by Paul, he repented. And Christ was ruling more space in Peter's heart. 
Notice this is through faith. We think of the word faith and usually think of it in terms of believing in truths or facts, which faith involves believing truths and facts. But biblical faith is much more than belief. It is taking those beliefs and laying a foundation which all your life decisions are based on. In other words, when Paul tells the Jewish Christian that Gentiles are now welcome and part of the family, through faith, the Jew says, yes, I believe. And through actions, he lives out that belief. When the word says sex outside of marriage is wrong, or not forgiving someone who has offended you is wrong, or holding a grudge, or gossiping, or favoring someone over the other is wrong, we are in faith to believe God's word and respond by actions to those truths. For Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. Let's continue climbing the mountain with our third step with, with a great phrase, rooted and grounded in love. Paul takes an example from the, the world of the botanical world and the architectural world and uses them here. Paul says we must first be rooted in love, that the roots of our lives should be rooted in love. Then to make sure everybody understands, he uses an image from the architect's world and says the foundation of your life must be founded in love. Listen to what John tells us in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Love is the supreme virtue of the Christian life to the point that it is a mark of someone who is a Christian and someone who is not a Christian. And Paul says you need to be rooted and grounded in love. That the roots of your heart go deep into love, the love of Christ. That the foundation of your heart is founded on the love of Christ. Rooted and grounded in love. Strength to comprehend and know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. We continue our climb, and here we see that our love is not just any kind of love. The love Paul is talking about is the, the love Paul wants us to be rooted and grounded in is the love of Christ. Listen to his prayer. He wants us to be able to have the strength to comprehend and to know the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ? And all you need to do is flip the page of your Bible to see the, the love of Christ described in Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The love Paul wants us to comprehend and know is the love of Christ, which goes beyond the words, I love you, it demonstrates love through actions. Love which is sacrificial. Love which gives something of yourself for the benefit of the person you are loving. Paul uses dimensions in his prayer to describe the love of Christ he wants us to understand. The breadth and length and height and depth. The love of Christ even surpasses knowledge. It's immeasurable. I love what John Stott says 
in his commentary on this passage. He says that yet it seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, especially Jews and Gentiles, the theme of these chapters, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Amen. That's good. The love, this love to others is incomprehensible. And unfortunately, there are some who have never experienced this kind of love. And Paul is praying that we comprehend the love of Christ, that we may come to know the love of Christ, so that we can show the love of Christ. That's Paul's prayer. And we continue our climb up the mountain, and we are almost at its peak. His last request is our, our present aspiration, and it points to our final heavenly perfection, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is Paul praying for here exactly? In essence, what Paul is saying is that the fullness or the perfection of God becomes the standard we should aspire to live to. Paul, in essence, is saying, God, that we, that they may be like Christ, since Christ is the fullness of God. This is no different from the command, be holy for I am holy, or be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In our lives, now, we are to aspire to be like Christ, holy, full of love, because that is what our lives will be when we are in heaven. The reason I think this is, is because Paul is about to transition in Ephesians chapter 4. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, this is what he says in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, beg you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And all you have to do is turn back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the calling that you have been called with. To be holy and redeemed from sin, forgiven, set apart, sealed with the Spirit. Paul is saying, man, all this stuff that God has done for you, walk worthy of the calling you have received. This is what Paul is going to take the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 and 6. To help them walk worthy of the calling they have received. That they may be filled with all the fullness of God. And finally, we reach the pinnacle of the mountain, which God is glorified. God is glorified. We finally reach the pinnacle of our mountain. And before we get to the top, Paul looks back at his prayer and he thinks, This is a huge ask. This is going to be impossible if it were left to ourselves. But we are not left to ourselves. We serve a God who is a ruler over all and is sovereign over all. And in, shout, in a shout of praise and worship and joy, this is what Paul proclaims. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. 
Amen. Paul, in essence, says that man, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Paul just says, God, take my prayer and go beyond what I was writing. Go beyond what I was asking. Go beyond what I was thinking and accomplish your purposes because I know you are able to do it. Can you imagine? I don't even think Paul could imagine where Christianity would go 2,000 years later. I don't even think that he would was thinking of a Christ the Redeemer Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. But that's what God did. He took the gospel and spread it all over the world to where 2,000 years later, there's a Christ the Redeemer Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. God did far more abundantly than all that Paul could ask or think. And notice he said, it's at the power, according to the power at work within us. And if you go back to Ephesians 1, that the power at work within us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that it is at work within us. And God is asking them, God, do your bidding in the church according to the power that's at work within us. We finally reach the pinnacle of the mountain and the, the purpose of Paul, Paul's prayer. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the whole point of Paul's prayer here. That God is glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's the purpose of Paul's prayer May God be glorified in the church. May, be, may God be glorified through Jesus Christ. May God be glorified in the church through Jesus Christ throughout all generations. And if you read the book of Ephesians, it almost sounds like it's on a broken record because Paul over and over is asking and declaring that God be praised to the glory of his grace. To the, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And that's the purpose. The purpose is for God to be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus forever to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that your word is so powerful.